what do we learn from the Old Testament or, or what do we get out of it? Um, do any of us build arcs like Noah did? And if not, why not? What about animal sacrifices? When was the last time any of us went out the backyard and built an altar and gathered wood and, and uh, uh, had an animal sacrifice? If you ever get a chance, you might look up 20 questions for Dr. Laura. I guess a lot of you listen to Dr. Laura. And I think, I know at one time she was a, a Jew. She, I don't, don't know if she's changed. She was a Jew. And someone wrote 20 questions for Dr. Laura. And uh, one of them, the questions is, is when I offer animal sacrifices, my neighbor complains about the smoke. It says, the Bible says I should smite my enemies. Can I smite my neighbor? <laughs> So, can you turn it down? It's echoing a little bit. What do we get out of the, the Old Testament? Why don't we build arts? Why don't we have animal sacrifices? Why don't we uh, build our houses a certain way and do our crops a certain way? What do we get out of the Old Testament? In Romans 15, in chapter, uh, chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul tells the Romans that whatever things were written before were written for our learning. And so this morning, I want to look at what we learn from the Old Testament. Because there's an awful lot we learn from the Old Testament. Now, we can be saved with just the New Testament and what Jesus taught us. But the Old Testament is very, very valuable to us. The, the first thing that we learn from the Old Testament is that there is a God. We read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When Moses was out tending the sheep and he looked and he saw a bush over there that was on fire but it wasn't burning up. It just kept burning. And he said, I'm going to go see what's going on over here. So he went over towards the bush and when he approached the bush, God spoke to him out of the burning bush and said, take your sandals off because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses went to Pharaoh, uh, of course, the, the, uh, the Egyptians believed in all sorts of gods. And Moses asked God, said, when I go to Pharaoh, who am I going to say sent me? And God said, you tell him, I am has sent you. I am. That means not I was, like Abraham Lincoln was. My great-grandchildren will be, but God just is. He always has been. He always will be. He's everywhere. He's just, I am. And so from the Old Testament, we learn that there's a God. In every culture, there are philosophers, and people say, where did we come from? What's the purpose of life? Why are we here? And people sit around and ponder the, the meaning of life. And so we learn that there is a God, and we also learn where we came from. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we learn where we come from. And of course, most of us grew up knowing this and hearing this, so it's no epiphany. I mean, we don't think, oh, I found out where I came from. But you know, a lot of people don't know that. Lots of people here in the United States, especially people that worship different gods, you know, Buddhists and Hindus, they don't understand this stuff. And stop and think for a minute. Just imagine, just, just wipe your mind clean, a blank slate, everything you've forgotten. And you think, I wonder if there is a God. Is there something bigger than us that we can't see? Now suppose for just a minute that we don't know if there is. And we get to thinking, you know, if there was a God that was more powerful than us, wouldn't it be likely that he would communicate with us? Or would he just hide and some distant star and never let us know he exists. Seems to me that if there was a God and he had anything to us, that he would communicate with us. And that's exactly what we see. God didn't write some great scientific journal because that's what his purpose. But he wanted to communicate with us. He said, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. And I created you. God has communicated with us told them about himself, and told them where we, where we came from. And God tells us our purpose. Right there we just read where uh, he says that we're supposed to have dominion over the earth and, and uh, replenish the earth. But also in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in 12 chapters Solomon, or whoever wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, has been talking about life, and the good things and the bad things, and the things that work and the things that don't work and the things that are folly. And at the end he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter what we would normally say, what's the moral of the story? What does all this boil down to? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, it says, keep, or, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, we've got a lot of responsibilities to take care of our family and, and keep up the house and, and you know, pay our bills and stuff like that. But the main thing, our purpose for being here is to fear God and keep his commandments. Well, why should I do that? What if I don't want to fear God? For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. In other words, God created us, and we've got to give answer to him. So the Bible, the Old Testament, answers the big questions that all men have asked in every, every civilization through history. Is there a God? And where did I come from? And if God created me, what is my responsibility? So we learn from the Old Testament that there is a God. And I said earlier, if there was a God, I mean, if we just didn't know, and we got thinking if there was a God, wouldn't he try to communicate with us? And wouldn't he try to maybe 
tell us about himself? Well, he does in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 57, in verse 15, we learn that God is eternal. Verse 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God calls himself the high and lofty one. Says that he's eternal. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, in verse 4, it says, talking about God, says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. I remember when I was in junior high and we studied uh, Roman, Greek and Roman mythology, all these gods that they believed in were just like humans. They had maybe superpowers, but they still had the human flaws and jealousy and rage and, and stuff like this. And these gods fought among themselves and among the humans. And that's not the kind of God that we have. We uh, see that his personality here says that he is righteous and without injustice, righteous and upright. So we learn about the righteousness of God. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, we learn that he's infinite. Verse 27 of 1 Kings 8 says, but will, or this is Solomon speaking here, he just built the temple, and he says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built you. God is everywhere and he fills everything. He's, he's infinite. We use, I don't use words very much, but we use the words uh, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnis, omniscient, I think. And uh, there's a third word. That means God's just everything, just fills all in all. We learn through the Old Testament that God is love. But then it took John, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, to just come out and say it simply, God is love. Remember back to the Roman gods I talked about, they were full of jealousy and rage, and they would do things to each other, and the humans just suffered for it. That's not the God that we serve, very fortunately. Our God is a God of love, and we learn that through the Old Testament, the love that he showed to all the people, and all the kindnesses, and all the things that he did, and all the times that he saved them. We learn in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18 that God is merciful. It says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. You know, a lot of people will say uh, they don't understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they think that, uh, or there's, I guess, confusion. Some people think that God hasn't changed. Some people think that God has changed. The only thing that changed wasn't God, but was his agreement with us. And you probably heard me liken the Old Testament and the New Testament to getting your house refinanced. You finance your house for uh, 30 years, maybe with interest rates. At, uh, I remember one time, I think you got up to 20%, if I remember correctly. You finance your house at 7, 8, 9, 10%, and you're making payments on it, and then the interest rates come down. And so you can go back to Wells Fargo, for example, and you can renegotiate the terms. Now, you still got the same house, you're still going through the same bank, but you refinance your house. You get a better interest rate in the payments instead of being on the 
uh, maybe the first of the month or maybe on the 14th of the month. Your payments go down, your interest rates go down. If the interest rate goes down enough, you might be able to change it. Say you've got 24 years left on your house, you may be able to refinance it at 15 years. Now what changed? Just the terms of the agreement. Wells Fargo didn't change. Wells Fargo still expects you to get your payment there on time. There's still going to be a late charge. If you default, they're going to come go through court proceedings and take your house away. But Wells Fargo didn't change. Wells Fargo's the same. Just the terms of the agreement changed. And God has not changed. We can read in the Old Testament how God was. And he's still the same God. I think it's Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus Christ the same today and forever. God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. Only the terms of the agreement change. So we can learn about God's uh, character from the Old Testament. Let's go back to Numbers 14 and verse 18. I read, The Lord is suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But, I didn't read the next part, He by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. We read stories in the Old Testament where the, uh, the Jews, the nation of Israel, started following other gods. And God punished them by leading them into captivity. And he punished their children who had done no wrong. And he, judged, he punished their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Now we read that God is loving and kind and merciful and righteous. But there's a limit. God can be a very, very mean God. Paul wrote the Hebrews, said, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the Jews found that over and over and over when they disobeyed him. In Exodus chapter 20, we have what's called the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below, beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now normally we use the term jealous in a bad way. Uh, a man, we say that a man's a jealous husband and he won't let his wife Talk to any other man. You know, her boss at work, someone at church. He's just, I don't know what the problem is. Maybe he's just so insecure in, in their relationship that he thinks if she's talking to another man that she's thinking things she shouldn't be. And we don't like people that are you know, a jealous man or a jealous wife. It will destroy a marriage. But jealousy also has a good side to it also. Like we just read, God said... I'm the only God there is. What would you think if you went into your teenager's room and he, had, he was falling down on the ground and he was talking to an idol and you go, what are you doing? You know, maybe, a, I don't know, a plastic figurine he got at Walmart or something he carved out. What are you doing? He goes, this is my dad. What? Yeah, this is my dad. That's a piece of wood. No, this is my dad. I love him. He's the one that's given me this house and, and my... Are you crazy? This, this is just an idol. You'd be upset about that, wouldn't you? And God is upset with us and with the Jews 
when we put anything between us. He's number one. He is the only God. And so we learn that God is a very jealous God. And we learn that, uh, I guess we use the term in a bad way when we say someone's got a hot temper. But God's got a hot temper. You can only push him so far. He set the limits. He's told you what's right and wrong. And if you want to refuse that, we read lots of stories where God punished people. We'll get into that here in a minute. Another thing that we learn from the Old Testament is the authority of the Scriptures. You know, I asked the question, if there was a God, would He not try to communicate with us? And He has. He communicated at first by talking directly to people, and then He gave them what we call the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments and other, all the other laws. And so we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take anything from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And then in chapter 12 and verse 32, he says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. You think if there was a God and he created everything, all he said was, let there be light, and there was light. Do you think that maybe God could write a law that we could understand? Do you think that he could write maybe a, a law that was flawless? A lot of times if we pass a law, it'll go to the Supreme Court and say, oh, this law is not a good law. It's unconstitutional. Do you think God that could just say, let there be light, let there be fish, let there be plants, could say what he meant and we could understand it? I think he could, if he's that powerful. And that's what he says here in uh, Deuteronomy. He said, don't add to what I say. Don't take away from what I say. And we have a similar teaching in the Old Testament. In Revelation chapter 22. John wrote, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things... God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. We learn from the Old Testament the authority of the Scriptures and that we're supposed to believe them and to obey them. Another thing the Old Testament teaches us is about right and wrong. This, again, is something philosophers have debated. Is, is there such thing as right or wrong, or is it all relative? Well, the Bible teaches, the Old Testament teaches, that there is a right and wrong. God told Adam and Eve, said, you can eat anything in this garden, but don't you eat from that tree back there. And what did they do? They ate from it, and God punished them. Cain and Abel, they both offered sacrifices. The Bible says that Abel offered an animal sacrifice, and Cain offered the fruit of the ground, some kind of plant or something, but it says Abel did his by faith, and God was not pleased with Cain. Cain got mad about it. What did he do? He made the situation worse. He murdered his brother. So we learn about right and wrong. We learn that God teaches that there's a right and wrong. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities 
has separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. Remember we read earlier about how God is righteous and how he's perfect? When I worked in the hospital in Lubbock, the OR was, was big. It had, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 different operating rooms that, where they could be doing operations at once. But I remember the room where they did the, uh, can't think what it's called now, where they operated on bones. They did stuff like hip replacements and knee replacements. If you get uh, an infection of the bone, that is really serious. I'm not sure why. You get an infection everywhere else, they can maybe clean it out and give you some antibiotics and you're good. You get an infection of the bone, that's really serious. And this room was way different from the other rooms. It had HEPA filters in there. The air was not circulated. It went through a HEPA filter, which gets out the tiniest, tiniest stuff. And so that air stayed clean. And those doctors and nurses, they wore stuff over their shoes. They wore, of course, masks and gloves, and they scrubbed and scrubbed. That room was different. You did not want any, anything that was bad in that room. God is perfect. He's righteous. Like we read, there is no iniquity in him. Therefore, sin cannot approach him. Sin cannot be in his presence. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. So your sins is what's keeping you and God apart. And so we learn about right and wrong, and good and evil. We learn that God doesn't like it. We read where God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. He rained down fire and killed everybody and everything in those cities. And we read story after story after story like that. So though Testament teaches us about sin, it teaches us about uh, punishment, but then it also teaches us about redemption. Leviticus 17 and verse 11. You know, you, we wonder why God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. In Leviticus 17:11, God explains, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. We use the term bleeding to death. When you lose enough blood, you die. God explains the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Atonement means amends or reputation made for an injury or wrong. Our sins have separated us from God. He's given us the blood on the altar to make an atonement for our souls. And so we, re, we see in the Bible what people call the scarlet thread of redemption. And they get that because when the 12 spies went into the land that God was going to give them, the promised land, they met Rahab the harlot. And she sheltered them and showed them kindness rather than turning them in. And so when they were going to come back and overthrow this city, they told her to let out, I don't know if it says a thread or what, but some kind of red string or something hanging out her window so all the soldiers would see that and know to leave that family alone. And so we call it the scarlet thread of redemption. After Adam and Eve sinned, you know, they, they ate from the tree of the knowledge and uh, they realized that they were naked, God, what did he do? He killed some animals and made them skins to cover themselves, to cover their nakedness. Animals died because of Adam and Eve's sin. And so we see sacrifices all the way through the Old Testament to cover for people's sins. So we learn about sin 
We learn about punishment and we learn about redemption. Another thing that we learn from the Old Testament is the harshness of the Old Testament. Did you know that according to the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 20, all of you talk about us and you say, Danny and Angie have six kids. But if we were still living under the Old Testament, you might be saying, Danny and Angie have two kids. Because it says in Leviticus 20 and verse 9, Everyone who curses his mother or father shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Now, my kids never cursed me, but what he's talking about here is, is kids that are disrespectful to their parents. They would be put to death. The cemeteries would be a lot fuller now. All the, you see all these young people out marching and protesting and burning cars and stuff. The cemeteries would be a lot fuller with people if we lived under the Old Testament. It was a very harsh law. We read about the man that was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. One of the Ten Commandments is you should keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy and don't do any work. How many of you women got, up, got meals fixed today? There was a man out picking up sticks. Now, he wasn't just like you or I would do probably. Oh, there's a stick in the yard picked up and throw it in the dumpster. Remember, they lived out in the wilderness. He was probably gathering firewood. He was gathering wood to make a fence or a crate or furniture. He was out working. And they found him out doing that, and they brought him to Moses, and they said, what should we do? And God consulted Moses, and God said, you need to put him to death. I said, don't do any work on the Sabbath day. And we read about him getting stoned. We read about the guy that touched the ark, and God struck him dead. The Old Testament was a very cruel law to live under, and that's what we learned from the Old Testament. It was very, very harsh. But we also learned through all these things, we learned the importance of obedience. Remember in Deuteronomy, God said, you don't add to what I've commanded you, but at the same time, don't take away. You be careful to observe all I do. And again, we read about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Uzzah and the man that picked up sticks and, and all these people... The ones that obeyed, God rewarded. And the ones that didn't, he punished. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Naaman, in 2 Kings chapter 5, teaches us the importance of doing things God's way. I think I've told the story about when Danielle was little. I think Melissa was, I don't know, two. So that means Danielle would have been six, seven, somewhere in there. And I knew how Danielle was. And I said, Danielle, I want you to go in your room and make up your bed. Because that's what they were supposed to do when they got up and she hadn't done it. Now, I knew how Danielle thought. And I said, I don't want you to pick up the toys on the floor. I don't want you to rearrange the clothes in your dresser. I don't want you to clean out your closet." I don't want you to read a book. I want you to go in there and make up your bed. Do you understand? And Danielle said yes. Because we had been through this before. I mean, this was not the first time. I said, do you understand? I don't want you to do anything else except make up your bed. And Danielle said yes. Okay. Go make up your bed. And guess what? Danielle did not go make up her bed. And I thought, why 
do my kids not listen to me? And in that moment, the thought hit me that God was thinking, why don't you listen to me? In the Old Testament, we learn to do things the way God has said. Naaman was a leper. Back then, leprosy was incurable, and it was like a cancer. It just ate up your skin. But Naaman heard about a prophet that could cure him of this leprosy. And so he went to this prophet, whose name slips me right now, and the prophet didn't even come out to meet him. He just sent his servants outside to tell Naaman what they said. You go down the Jordan River, and you dip in it seven times, and you'll become clean. And so Naaman... He goes away mad. He thought, surely, I thought he's going to come out and strike his hand over the place and just heal me. That's not what Naaman was expecting. And he went away mad. And his servants came to him and asked him a question. said, look, if God had told you to go out and do some great thing, like climb to the top of a mountain or something, would you have done that? He says, if you would have done some great thing, he tells you, why not do some simple thing he tells you to do? And so Naaman thought about it, and he went and he dipped in the Jordan River, not six times, not eight times, not once, but seven times. And guess what happened? Exactly what the prophet had said would happen. He became clean. So we learn the importance of not trying to interpret God's law, but simply following it. I remember Jerry McCorkle years ago, said, we don't need to try to read between the lines of the Bible. We need to read on the lines of the Bible. So that's one of the things we learn. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. And there's one other thing I want to mention that we learn from the Old Testament. You know, we don't learn much at all about the church. God, you know, first they had the kings in the kingdom of Israel, but they sinned. And so God led them into captivity. And so God promised, he said, one day I'm going to restore the kingdom. So they were looking for this time when they wouldn't be living in Babylon or Rome, but they would have their own country again and be their own rulers. They were looking for this kingdom. But God didn't really say much about it. They were looking for a kingdom. They were looking for a, a savior and they knew some things. They knew where the Savior was going to be born. And they followed the star. But they didn't know a lot about the Savior. So they had an inkling that something was going to happen, but they didn't understand. Because you remember when, uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead and he was with the, the apostles 40 days, just before he was taken up into heaven, they asked him, said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They had forgotten that Jesus had told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. They didn't understand what was coming. And they really wanted to know. But one thing that we read about in the Old Testament, what Sean read, was about faith. Under the old law, it was just a law. You do this and live, you don't do this and you die. It's just cut and dried, it's black and white. But Sean read, in Romans chapter 4, now, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He hadn't made an animal sacrifice. It was just simply his faith in God to do what he said he would do was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. And so we first learn about faith. 
Now Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 23, but before faith came, in other words, the church, and through through the New Testament you've got the law referring to the Old Testament, you've got faith referring to the New Testament. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. They didn't know about faith, but Abraham did. And he was called, because of his faith, he was called the friend of God. We first learn about faith. We have an inkling of the church that Jesus is going to establish through Abraham's life. So the Old Testament, we learn about God. We learn where we came from. We learn about sin, evil, punishment, reward, sacrifices. We learn about the nature of God. Romans chapter 15 says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning. And Paul sums it up really well in Galatians chapter 3 where he's talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in Galatians 3 and verse 23 he says, but before faith came, what we live under today, by faith are you saved through grace? But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would after be revealed. Kind of like we were... Well, he explains. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Now, a tutor, though King James says a schoolmaster, was in a household, he was the guardian responsible for the care and discipline of the children. The man was out making a living, the mother may have been doing other stuff, and they had a tutor responsible for that child. And Paul says the Old Testament, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. What's the tutor? The law. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. It was to bring us to Christ. So here's the moral of the story. The Old Testament prepared us to live by faith. We look at the old law and how bad it was and how hard it was to live under and how cruel, and we can appreciate what we've got now. You know, the New Testament doesn't give us laws telling us that that we can't mix materials in our clothes, you know, 65% cotton and 35% polyester. It doesn't tell us how to build our houses. It doesn't tell us uh, borders on our garments. It doesn't tell us how to cut our beards, how to plant our crops. The, the New Testament is very easy to live under. Rather than specific laws, rather than hundreds and hundreds of laws that we could get killed for, the New Testament's got principles. It says that we're supposed to dress modestly. It says that we're supposed to give to the church as we purpose in our hearts. It gives us guidelines. It doesn't give us very many specifics at all. And so when we read the Old Testament, we can appreciate what we've got today. We can appreciate not being under the yoke of bondage, as Paul called the Old Testament. But most importantly, we can appreciate the ultimate sacrifice. Under the Old Testament, every year there had to be more sacrifices made, and the sins just kind of got pushed forward one more year, and then there was a remembrance of the sin and more sacrifice. Paul wrote the Hebrews, and he explains the superiority of the new agreement over the old agreement. The old agreement got us to where we are today. 
in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter explains, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained, the plan was made, before the foundation of the world. But he was manifest in these last times for you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8, he's quoting from the Old Testament now. It says, Previously saying, Sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them. Then he said, speaking of Jesus, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the Old Testament, that he may establish the second, the New Testament. By that will, we have been sanctified through the authoring of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The Old Testament was our schoolmaster to bring us to the New Testament so we would truly appreciate what we have under the New Testament. The old uh, law was getting us to know God, to trust Him, and then to obey Him. And that's why we're here today. That's why we will have the Lord's Supper in a few minutes to honor and to commemorate this great thing that was done for us. That's why we sing these songs and we have these prayers. Because we are living under a much better law than what people lived under for thousands of years. We're going to sing a song right now called Trust and Obey and I hope that maybe something that we've read will make you want to trust more and to obey better. So think about that while we stand and sing this song.